Well, I received an email from the USPS. And in this email, it had informed me that the USPS is experiencing unprecedented volume of overload in our warehouses. Mail delays may occur. We appreciate your patience, Mr. Creek. And sure enough, every single thing that we had ordered, all of the boxes and packages have been delayed. There are at least a couple of, of orders that I had made that are at least two weeks late at this point. Two weeks. And to that, I say amen. You know, it's almost as if God is saying, all right, hotshot, you've got all these Advent sermons you've been doing. Let's see how into waiting you really are, preacher. How about we just reroute those eBay boxes to Sacramento? Whoops! <laughs> and yet that is exactly what Advent is. Advent is waiting with anticipation for something that is long awaited. Only as it pertains to our Messiah, though, it is to a presence, and to a present, I would say, that is far greater than anything that will appear underneath the Christmas tree. And so we've been looking in the book of Isaiah for these past few weeks of Advent. We remember how Isaiah says in one place that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They're going to walk and not be faint. And our Advent is always our Messiah's arrival in our lives, in our attitudes, in our thoughts, and in our, our um, actions. And so Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father. And then Isaiah says at the end of verse 6, as he gives the attributes and the names to our Advent and to our Messiah, his name shall be called the Prince of Peace. That word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And what, what shalom is, is it is that very beautiful promised land, calm and tranquility that the Israelites dreamed about while they were in the wilderness. It is the essence of having safety and lavish abundance. It is being in a place where you have the absence of war and oppression and slavery. And if I could define what shalom is to the best of my abilities, it is having a peace that is so perfectly peaceful that it is ethereal. It is having so much peace that it is a living dream that you're living in the real world, a daydream that never ends. And whether it was Egypt or Babylon or Assyria or Ammon or Cana or or Philistia, or Damascus, or Edom, or Nineveh, or Rome, or Israel itself. In this ancient world, every king, ruler, prince that had ever ruled did so through conquest. They had greatness that only came through blood dripping off the tip of a sword. 
And it is in this autocratic, a tyrannical world of violence that the prophet Isaiah announces through the words of God that one day there's going to be another kind of ruler. That someday a different kind of kingdom is going to arrive. And it's going to be unlike anything and anyone that we have ever seen. Rather than just another empire where there's genocide massacres being conducted. Of all things, shalom is going to be what the expectation is going to be under this prince. And under this regime. You see, it's not just merely that he wants to bring peace into our world and into our everyday lives. But what Isaiah is announcing to the world is that his very empire is peace. His whole entire nation is built upon the construct of, of shalom. Elvis was the king of rock. Babe Ruth was the sultan of swat. But what Isaiah is saying is that Jesus the Christ is the prince of peace. And it's not the kind of peace that this world gives, is it? Climbing corporate ladders, empty bottles in a kitchen, lines of coke on a table, whether or not a person's party won an election. That's the kind of peace that this world gives. Flimsy, superficial, imitation peace. And yet when it says that his name shall be called the Prince of Peace, what this means is that what Isaiah is saying is that this is going to be that living dream kind of peace that is called shalom. Shalom between God and humanity. Shalom between humanity and humanity. And this is the imagery that we find all throughout Isaiah as well as elsewhere in Scripture. Where if we go a page over into chapter 11, it is the imagery of shalom as he says in verse 6 that the wolf shall lie down with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goats and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adler's den what in the world does that mean, right? It's the idea of the most aggressive and the most violent coexisting, living as brother and sister with the very most gentle in the world and in society. And sure enough, as Jesus comes into our world of violence and tyranny, that is exactly what we find him actually accomplishing. Where we see a man whose name is Zacchaeus, who is the most aggressive, you could even say violent in a sense, where he's gouging his own brothers out of hard-earned money. He's making the poor even poorer as he makes himself richer and richer and richer. Zacchaeus is public enemy number one of Jerusalem. He is the most despised person in this world. And yet as Jesus comes to town, we see the lion sitting down with the lamb. Zacchaeus, of all people, becomes a follower of Christ, and he sits down with other lambs later on. 
It was even true in the life of Saul of Tarsus, who was a terrorist of the first century church. As he stands by, giving his approval as Christians had been executed in the streets. Of all people, we see Saul of Tarsus sitting down at the table with Gentile Christians, with Jewish Christians, as, as he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. In chapter 2 of Isaiah, yet again, we see this imagery of Shalom, where, where what we see there is, I want you to gather up all of your, your swords and to beat them into plowshares. I want you to gather together all of your spears of warfare and turn them into pruning hooks. That's because when the Prince of Peace comes, his empire, which is constructed upon Shalom, it will be violent no more. See, this is why as Jesus comes, two of his Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount are just exactly this, Shalom. Or blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. He says, blessed are those who are the makers of shalom, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he says. You see, this is why in Gethsemane, what the imagery there is, is one of the apostles grabs his sword and he does a very violent act of warfare. He tries to decapitate the servant of the high priest. And one of his most memorable rebukes of Simon Peter, what Jesus says is, put your sword away. For those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword, Peter. Just like those in the world of today, those who live by the gun and live by the Second Amendment are going to die by the Second Amendment. They're going to die by the gun if that is all that they care about. If that is where they find their identity, Jesus says, that's not what my empire is all about. And so, I mean, over and over again, what we see is that this is a kingdom of peace. And that's because the weaponry of this peace is intensely spiritual in nature rather than of a physical violence. Yes, we've got a belt on our armor, but it is of truth. Yes, we have a breastplate, but it is righteousness, which is our breastplate. We have a shield, but it is faith in the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yes, we are wearing helmet, but it is our salvation in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes, we be given a sword, but it is the words of Jesus Christ in us. Yes, we are taking upon a posture of warfare, but it is no longer in a balled-up fist, but it is in hands lifted up in prayer to the Father of lights. Yes, we have a rallying cry in the midst of our war against sin, but it is not a violence. Rather, our rallying cry of the Prince of Peace in this world is the gospel of peace. See, I think the struggle is, uh, is much of the time is that we so often struggle using the sword of the Spirit, the words of Christ, in a very violent way in the lives of other people. And yet the sword of the Spirit is not to be used in order to dominate or to humiliate those who don't instantly fall in line with it. 
but rather what our attitude is that we must absolutely adopt is the message of the angels to the shepherds in the field. Or I bring you good news of great joy. And that's all that it ever has been, and, and it's all that it ever will be, good news of great joy, and we've got to proclaim it as such. And so, chapter 9, his name shall be called, called the Prince of Shalom. And then notice verse 7, where it says that of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. You see, this is why whenever we hear anybody say that, well, this is going to be the end of Christianity or that the church is going to go away in the world, that's not true. Isaiah is announcing right here that that cannot be done. That's because the Prince of Peace reigns over a kingdom of Shalom that cannot be shaken. And the reign of this king and, and his regime is not up to a vote every four years. It's already been decided. He is going to reign forevermore in one permanent everlasting regime of idyllic, ethereal Shalom. And yet, having said that, though, it does not come automatically for us, though, does it? And yet, rather, shalom is a promised land that every single generation that will ever walk this earth must journey to. In Isaiah's time, it is very clear that there is no shalom in the world. Near the very end of this book, what God says to his people is that they are estranged children of his. Where he says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. At the very beginning of this book, in chapter 1, what he's saying is that, Yes, you are offering me worship assemblies, but I don't want them. You're singing love songs to me and you're crying out to me in prayer, but... It's with hearts that are consumed in idolatry and you're just going through all of the formalities of it. He lets them know that I'm not even listening to your songs and to your prayers anymore because your hands are too full of the blood of the oppressed. Your hearts are too indifferent towards the cry of the widow and to the outcast and to the orphan. And yet, even though they are his estranged children, and even though he's turned the deaf ear to their worship, we hear this God of peace saying to them in verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall become like wool. And so, I mean, it, it looks like in Isaiah's world, in like 700 years BC, it looks like they've got everything but peace. And God is letting them know, though, that peace is right here if you want to take it. And as Jesus comes into the world in the first century, I mean, as we look, especially in the lives of the apostles, 
I mean, they've got everything but peace, it would appear. Or they are languishing in this barren wilderness of fear and anger and constantly jockeying for position about which one of us is going to be the greatest of the twelve. And yet what these men are going to learn in time is that you can, is if you follow this Prince of Shalom, you're going to have shalom in your soul in the most unexpected situations. Or you can even be on a boat that it appears that you're about to drown because of a storm. Waves are just rocking up and down on the boat. And it looks like you're going to capsize at any moment. And yet we find the Prince of Peace in such a perfect state of, of shalom that, that he's asleep in that boat. We find Simon Peter facing capital punishment. He, he's lying in a, in a jail cell. And yet he has so much shalom enveloping his very being that he's asleep inside that prison cell. We find all of these apostles who live after, after his resurrection. And we know that all but one of them is going to be executed in this fiery hardship and persecution. And yet guy after guy after guy has so much shalom that it's like, I'm ready. I don't even care. Let's just get this over with. Praise God that I get to worship him in this way. And as we look at our own lifetime in the world of today, it seems like we've got everything but peace in this world, don't we? Where all year long what our world and what our year has been controlled by so much and dominated by is, is the coronavirus. Where it's been said that this is a virus that is believed to be transmitted by, by animals and bats. And so I socially um, isolate myself all year long from other people. And I distance and I take precaution. I wear a mask. And, and then I go into my basement and I've got bats flying over my head. <laughs> God has such... A unique sense of humor, doesn't he? <laughs> and yet a lot of you remember perhaps when World War II was going on. A lot of you lived during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And you remember how unnerving all of that had been. I remember not that long ago there had been so many mass shootings in this country that Whenever I would be in, in a large um, gathering of any kind, I would, I would just almost find myself lapsing into a dream or a trance-like state. And I would just imagine a gunman in any moment opening fire and, and all these people screaming and scattering amidst all of the bullets that were being sprayed. In just the past week, we have seen phrases such as civil war, martial law, nuclear hacking, showing up in our news stories. All year long, we have heard warnings that be very careful because that, that um, selfie that you're taking with that other person or that gathering and a party that you want to go to, if you go to that, if just one person has coronavirus, then two generations of your family could be wiped out three weeks from now. 
And regardless of if any of that is true or it's not true, it just seems like more than ever, we have less shalom in the world than we've ever had. And yet here's the good news in all of this this morning. That good news is that there is a sense is that there is a star that is shining in the sky of every single soul who is aching, who is waiting in this wilderness called Advent. As we hear this trumpeting announcement to our ears, that fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy today. For unto you is born this day the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. And he's bringing peace into our worlds all over again on a daily basis. And yet if there's anything that we're learning in the pages of the text this morning, it's that the only way that we're going to get this kind of Shalom and this kind of peace is we've got to go to its Prince. See, last of all, what we see this morning is that shalom is very beautiful, but it comes at a price. Shalom comes at a price. No, the Prince of Peace is not like all the other kings of this world who rule through blood dripping off the tip of a sword. And yet, having said that, though, the only way that shalom and peace on earth is ever going to, to, to truly come into our world is by blood dripping off the tip of the cross. You see, peace for us meant violence for Jesus Christ. Where in that famous 53rd chapter, as Isaiah prophesies yet again about this Prince of Peace, what he says is that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And then Isaiah says that upon him was a chastisement that brought us shalom. It brought us peace. And by his wounds, he says, we are now healed. We come to the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul is speaking about us Gentiles. He says in verse 12 of Ephesians 2 that remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And yet then notice the good news of great joy. But he says, now I've got good news of great joy for you. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. And there we see it again. He is the Prince of Peace. And he himself is the, the embodiment and the manifestation of our peace. Verse 17 says, and when the Prince of Peace came, he came and preached peace. He came and preached shalom to you who were far off. And he preached shalom to those who were near. 
You see, peace for us meant violence for him. And also just as true is that shalom for us means saying no to the flesh. I once heard a minister say that when I became a Christian, I had to give up drinking, cussing, and gambling all at once. And he said, and you call that peace? Well, not at the time, but eventually it did. I can tell you that following Jesus, I mean the real Jesus who preached the Sermon on the Mount, and proclaiming a message akin to the Sermon on the Mount, that has cost me more friendships than I can even count. It's brought me to some very dark and lonely places where, where I felt all alone in this world. And yet it is in those very dark and lonely places that I discovered, though, that as long as I had the presence of the Prince of Shalom in my soul, that he was breathing and creating and instilling that shalom within my, my ravaged heart. And I would rather have that presence of the Prince of Shalom and to have his peace than all of those superficial friendships that I once thought that I needed. Yes, shalom only comes through the violent crucifixion of Jesus' cross. Shalom only comes through the violent crucifixion of our daily cross of self-denial. As we say no to our desires and we say yes to the Sermon on the Mount. As we say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. I think our greatest struggle as people is that we have have believed a lie that, that we only have peace when we die. Anytime a person dies, what we say is, may they rest in peace. May they rest in shalom. And yet what the Prince of Shalom is inviting you to and me to every single morning that we wake to is, I want you to live in shalom as well. So finally, in chapter 26, what Isaiah prophesies is that when, when the Prince of Shalom comes, there's going to be a song that will be sung in the land of Judah. And that song will be that you will keep him in a, in a perfect peace, whose mind is fixated upon you, O Lord. And that's because he trusts in you. And I mean, that is our call to action this morning. Let the peace of Christ reign in our hearts. Let the Prince of Shalom be the Prince of Shalom in our lives. And let the Prince of Shalom rule in our minds, in our hearts, and in our everyday lives. And so, I mean, where does the Prince of Peace need to be born and reborn in our lives this morning? I mean, let's face it, our world today is no less full of trouble and fear and uncertainty as it was in the days of Isaiah, 700 years before Christ was born. And so as we close this morning, I just want you to mentally gather all of those things, that all of those areas in our lives where, where the Prince of Shalom needs to be reborn. 
And I conclude this morning and I offer the, the gospel invitation of peace to you this morning through a prayer of a minister named Frederick Beekner. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, O Prince of Peace, be born again into our world. Wherever there is war, wherever there is pain, wherever there is loneliness, wherever there is hope, come long expectant one with healing in your wings. Holy one whom the shepherds and the kings and the dumb beast adored, be born again. Wherever there is boredom, wherever there is fear of failure, Wherever temptation seems too strong to resist, wherever there is bitterness in our hearts, come, O blessed one, with healing in your wings. Savior, be born anew in the mangers of each one of our souls as we raise our faces to your face, not knowing fully who we are or who you are, knowing only that your love is beyond our knowing and that no other has the power to make us whole. And so come, Lord Jesus, to each who longs for you, even though we have forgotten your name. Come quickly, O Prince of Peace, O Prince of Shalom, we pray and we ask and we implore you, O Prince of Peace, of Shalom. Amen.